to be completely honest with you this morning, I want to say that this past week was, was one of a handful in my entire life. Um, I can think of two, three, four other times maybe in my life that were <clears throat> as equally intense or stressful <laughs> in both life and ministry as this past week was for me. Now, I don't say that uh, to make you feel sorry for me or to elicit some kind of sympathy. No, 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 it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Because this last week, uh, this last week was probably one of the weeks that I have experienced the power and the work of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both directly and indirectly, uh, through his people like I've never experienced before. The power of the Spirit in my life and the work of the Spirit in my life, the work of the Trinity in my life, is so overwhelming and so amazing to me this week. And I thought, okay, thank you, God, because here I am going to be talking about the Trinity in the Christian life, right? As we end a series that we've done. Uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was so tangible, so palpable to me this week. <clears throat> that uh, we have no option really but to talk about that because um, as we've already mentioned, the Trinity is God, one God in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. And the primary work of God in our lives now in this era, this time in history is through his Holy Spirit. I served at a church uh, one time where I spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit. We were going through a series in Acts, and uh, <clears throat> somebody, an older gentleman, pulled me aside one Sunday after church in the kitchen. He said, Eldon, it's okay to talk about the Holy Spirit, just not too much. I went, you do realize, you do realize that we're talking about God and that the Spirit of God has come to indwell us, to live within us. How can we not talk about the Spirit of God. It's the primary work. It's the primary way he works in our lives right now as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? So we're ending this, uh, this series uh, this morning. We, we started with uh, talking about uh, what exactly is this Trinity and who's involved. And then we talked about the Trinity in creation, Trinity in salvation, and today in the Christian life. And I must admit that I have an overwhelming task today. We're, in fact, the, pre, the preachers who are preaching today in our campuses, we got together on Tuesday to talk about this. And we're like, is there any part of our Christian life that the Trinity doesn't touch? We're like, no. So that means he's pretty much involved in everything. Yeah, okay. Well, let's just say that and dismiss everybody early to go enjoy their lunch. <laughs> Nonetheless, I got lots to say. But here's the thing. <clears throat> the Spirit is the primary way that God works in our lives now, but a lot of Christians are afraid of the Holy Spirit because they don't understand. And they narrow down the work of the Holy Spirit. Usually when they hear Holy Spirit, they think one thing, the gift of tongues, right? Oh, I don't understand that. But I want to let you know, the gift of tongues to me is like a dinghy in an ocean. When we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand just how vast and how beautiful is the work of God's Spirit in so many ways. 
I did my pastoral internship many moons ago in Saskatoon. The lead pastor of the church at that time told me right out of the gate about his first week at that church when he went up to preach and there was this massive pulpit. You could hardly see him behind it. It went like this and it came down. It had wings. You could, it had shelves. It had drawers. You could put your whole library on there and preach, right? And he's like, I don't like this thing because I, I don't have freedom behind this pulpit. So he took it and he moved it you know, into a back room. Well, that nearly split the church. It's amazing what, what happened, where church conflict comes from, right? People have got their girdle in a knot pretty quick. And, uh, and so he's like, oh, what did I do? I stepped on a landmine. But he said, instead of running away from this problem that just erupted here, he said, I'm going to move toward the person who's the most angry, who's the guy, the guy who built the pulpit. Okay, ding, ding, ding. Custom pulpit for the church that was built by him. Right? So, um, so he went and met with this gentleman, had lunch, talked, just listened, talked, helped me understand Met several times. Things moved over a bit, not entirely, but it really did. He, and then he said, so the point of this, he said, Eldon, the lesson here is that always move toward your critics and just understand. Just try to understand. Dialogue. And you see, human nature is to avoid that which we don't understand uh, or that which, which creates conflict, externally or internal conflict. And then, and then what we do is if we don't understand it, we label it as dangerous and then we stay away, which makes the situation better, right? No, no, no. Makes it worse, obviously. How many of us here this morning understand God fully? We understand the Trinity perfectly. We understand the ways of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you this. He's not dangerous in a negative sense. Oh, he's wonderfully dangerous. But he's so beautiful, yet mysterious, always helping us in our life and our walk as a Christian, so we need to understand. I've already mentioned this, but let's go to the series intro here. We said that God eternally exists as three persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and yet there is one God. It's a mystery, but that's the beauty of the Christian life, that we don't serve a single person God. It's God, one God, in three persons, and it changes the way we view everything. Furthermore, we discover that God revealed himself not first and foremost as a creator or as a ruler or as a mighty God. All of those things are absolutely true, but he revealed himself first and foremost as a father. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, Father, this was before anything was created. You loved me. You loved me before the creation of the earth. This is foundational, and we're going to come back to it. So we looked at, that's the series intro in a nutshell, this, and then the Trinity and creation, we said, the Father initiated creation out of the overflow of that love. His love that he had within himself in this beautiful relation spilled over and he created people so that they might enjoy his love and that he might love them. The Son spoke creation. It was through him, for him, by him, all things were created. The Spirit empowered creation, breathed life into creation, made it all come alive. Then we, last week, Pastor Jeremy did a beautiful job on the Trinity and salvation where he says, you know, the Father initiates out of his love and he sent Jesus, you know, God so loved the world and the Son responded to that in obedience and in 
his obedience to the Father went to the cross and justified us. His grace. Then the Holy Spirit renews and regenerates the same spirit that brought Jesus back to life, Romans 6, after the crucifixion. That same spirit gives life to our mortal bodies as he comes to live in us through faith in Christ. That's Romans 8. That's salvation. Today, we're going to see that because God loves the Son and sent him to earth, Jesus loved his Father and went to the cross and Jesus loves us, and so he saved us, and he gave his spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts for faith. We're going to learn a little bit more about that dynamic. And so the text that I've chosen for this morning is very simple, probably the simplest, but I'll probably preach the longest on it, <laughs> is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Why don't you stand with me? I know it's short, but I'm going to do this in two ways. I'm going to read it for you, and then we're going to say it together. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Join me, okay? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I'm going to use this as a basis. You can have a seat to talk about his work in our lives. Father, Son, Spirit, while distinct persons are absolutely inseparable, they always work together, they are always together, never to be divided. And yet we always see one person of the Trinity taking a leading role. The Father always in loving and initiating creation salvation. The Son in obedience to the Father's love and response to that, accomplishing our salvation. And the Spirit making everything come alive. And that's true, not just in our salvation, but in our Christian walk. Making everything come alive so that when you have a week from... I won't say that. When you have a week that is absolutely crazy and stressful and brutal, you can say, God, you're making me alive even in this. And you're allowing that life to spill out as a blessing to, over, to other people. And we see him, the Holy Spirit, now taking a lead role in God's redeemed creation, us and the life that we now live in Christ. So let's, let's go through these. I'm going to camp the last on the fellowship of the Holy Spirit most, but let's start again with the love of God. Number one, the ripple effect of God, the Father's love, has always existed, even before creation, spill over into creation, then salvation after we messed it all up, with the help of the enemy, of course. And that love for us has not stopped, and it will not stop. Listen, this, if there's anything, anything that you, that I desire that you walk away with this morning is this. God's love must be the very foundation of your Christian life, of my Christian life. God loves you. Everything, the work of the Holy Spirit emerges from that premise how many, don't raise your hand, but how many, I just asked the question, me included, how many Christians or people think that they're acceptable to God by what they do? There's so many people that say, oh, I'm, a, I'm a good person, look at, look at what I do, right? I, I give to charity, I, I cut the grass for my neighbor, I serve my, my family, I... I care for the poor and those that have cancer and all of that kind of stuff. Those who have had loved ones pass away, like I'm there for them. 
And we fall into that thinking and that trap all the time that we're acceptable to God by what we do. Listen to this, 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I'm going to come back to that first phrase in the NIV. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Now we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. We need to get this. We need to understand this. The Father's love for you is so great. He has lavished it on you, and through faith in Christ, you are his child. It makes a profound difference in the way we live. Experiencing the Father's love for us allows us to walk with confidence, allows us to walk with hope, and it allows us to walk in purity. And I want you to note the order. We are not right with him because we are pure. We are pure because we are right with him. All right? Because we are his children through faith. And then we walk in purity to honor him. St. Augustine, knowing God to be the triune God of love, held that we were not simply created to live under his moral code. I think Pastor Jeremy talked about this last week, hoping for some paradise where he will never be. We were made to find our rest and satisfaction in his all-satisfying fellowship. Our problem, and that's what the Holy Spirit helps us with, we're getting there yet, our problem is not so much that we have behaved wrongly, but that we have been drawn to love wrongly. Made in the image of the God of love, Augustine or Augustine argued that we are always motivated by love. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned because they loved something else more than they loved him. So altering our behavior does no good. Our hearts must be captured by his love. That's what Augustine said, Augustine. Our hearts must be captured by his love. Question for you today, is your heart captured by his love? Is your heart captured by his love? John went on to say, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that leads us into number two, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our atoning sacrifice. The father sent his son to make himself known, meaning not that he wanted simply to download some information about himself, but that the love that the father eternally had for the son might be in those who believe in him and that we might enjoy the son just as the father always has. This isn't about information. This is about fellowship, and it's about relationship. God does not give us something that is other than himself or merely tells us about himself. He actually gives us himself. If he just dropped a book from heaven, 
I won't drop it, but if he just dropped a book from heaven, like single God, small God religions do, gods do, here, boom. If, if he just did that, he could sort of keep a distance that we would expect. He's there, we're here. Read it. But he doesn't. The very word of God, who is God, comes to us and dwells with us. And he comes to live in us. Wow. It's shocking. In in our devotions that we're going through right now, Bible Project, we're in Leviticus. That's some crazy reading. Okay? (laughs) All about sacrifices and blood and rules, rules, rules. The temple eventually set up the tabernacle. I tell you, just read the other day that Aaron's sons did things the wrong way. Aaron was appointed as a priest. Zap, boom, they're dead. This morning I read that God told Aaron, don't do that again. Because you'll end up dead. Couldn't even get near a certain part of the temple unless God said, you come in here this way and do it this way. It is astounding now that that same God lives in us by his spirit. We have him. We are the temple of the living God. It is amazing that we don't die on the spot because of his holiness. That was a side tangent, sermon number two there. Where am I? Okay. So just as creation was an act of grace, so the incarnation, God in flesh, God's was God's grace to us even before salvation his incarnation was an act of grace coming to us his salvation was an act of grace the ultimate act of grace giving his spirit is an amazing act of grace <clears throat> I'm going to skip over there uh, to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 9 But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And now listen, his ongoing work in our lives, see, God prepared us long ago for works, and his ongoing work in our lives is also an act of grace through the Holy Spirit. Note the Trinitarian language as Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, after all of this beautiful salvation, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, and that was true for me this week, 
according to the power that, was at, is at, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. And you're probably thinking, Eldon, finish this sermon right here. That was beautiful. But we got more to cover, okay? That's a beautiful picture of the Trinity in our lives. Outstanding, outstanding. So now given that Christ the Son dwells in us by the Spirit through faith, and that we are filled with the fullness of God in that relationship, we have to talk about the Spirit. Okay, John 17. Righteous Father, Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to see Jesus makes the Father known. And I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them, God in us by his spirit. Number three, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship is the word koinonia. How many of you ever heard that word before? It's a Greek word. Koinonia, koinonia means fellowship, and it's often used to refer to the fellowship that we have with one another in the church, right? I grieve that uh, our fellowship has been so disrupted the last couple of years. I really grieve that. However, we do have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and I don't know if the Spirit is able to translate into Zoom calls or not, but I'm trusting that he does, right? It's just the way we've had to live our lives. But here we are together. This is a blessing. This is a blessing, masks and all. It's a blessing. Koinonia means an association involving close, intimate, mutual relations and involvement. And we don't think about that often when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Close, intimate, mutual, relational involvement. The Holy Spirit of God wants to be involved in your life intimately. How does he do that? Well, let's start in Romans 5, verse 5. God's love. Remember, the premise is God's love. That's how it all started before we were created. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And I pray that God's Spirit would be poured out into your lives more and more, that you would experience his love, that his love would be poured out through the Holy Spirit. In revealing himself, not only does... The Father send the Son and the power of the Spirit. Together the Father and the Son send the Spirit to make the Son known. The Son makes the Father known. The Spirit makes the Son known. That's how they work together. And so I love the beginning of the book of Acts, right? Luke says, Luke, Luke wrote Acts and he said, he's writing it to a guy named Theophilus. And he said, in my first book, in my first writing, Theophilus, the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The key word for me there at the beginning of Acts, the inception of the life of the church is the word began. I, write, I wrote all, all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That means that there's a continuation. And that continuation after Jesus left is through his spirit whom he sent that points people to the Son who points people to the Father. It's so beautiful. 
let's talk about this fellowship of the Holy Spirit. First of all, there's fellowship with God, and then there's another stream, fellowship with each other. So let's talk about fellowship with God. You see, other religions have a single person God. As I said, we have one God and three persons who had fellowship within the Trinity, which makes fellowship with him possible. I'm going to point out six ways real quick that this happens. Again, it begins with intimacy and love. Romans 8, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Personal. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The spirit's deepest purpose is that I might know the son and that I might be like him that my eyes might look to him. Knowing him knowing him is life. Not knowing about him, but knowing him is life. And this, that's the role of the Spirit. And looking to him is what enlivens us. So realizing this is the secret to Christian happiness. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this, for he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. Oh, that's a message we need to hear today. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives it rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. And that's the role of the Spirit. The next way we have fellowship in the, in the Holy Spirit, fellowship with God, is the comfort and the peace that he brings us. So Jesus said in John 14, but the helper... Uh, the Holy Spirit. Another word for that is our advocate, our comforter, one who comes alongside and intercedes for us and just is there for us. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring remembrance to all that I have said to you. And then he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you have that kind of peace today? No fear, no trouble, no looking at what the world is doing, but complete peace in Christ. Wow. In Romans where, you know, Paul, I just read it, where he said that God's love has been poured into us through the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. He talks about first being justified by faith and having peace with God through Christ. And that even though we go through sufferings, we can rejoice in them because they produce endurance, character, hope, and they don't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. It's in the context of extreme turmoil. So I spent the entire day yesterday at, uh, well, almost the entire day, aside from sermon prep, it's one of those weeks, all right? I spent the entire day at uh, uh, our British Columbia Conference of Churches. We're a Mennonite Brethren Church. And I'm on the executive board. So we had a planning retreat yesterday in Abbotsford. 
We started the day with worship, with prayer in the Holy Spirit, and it was powerful. And during that time, our conference minister, Rob Thiessen, together with Paul Lamb, our, uh, one of the, he's on the executive board. He retired now from pastoral ministry in one of our Chinese churches. He's very well known in our Chinese community, and we have quite a few Chinese churches that are Mennonite brethren. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you heard this uh, last week that there was an apartment fire in Vancouver. People died in that. Uh, the people that died in that fire are related to one of the pastors in our conference, uh, Pastor Enoch and Winnie Lim. Uh, Winnie, uh, Pastor Enoch's wife, Winnie, uh, lost her father, her sister-in-law, and her nine-year-old nephew in that fire. And her brother, who survived the fire, is in intensive care with severe burns to his body. And that means that Winnie's brother, the only survivor of that fire, lost his wife, his son, and his father all in the same moment. And we read what Peter said in chapter 5, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is the work of his spirit. And I put a little bit of perspective on my life, and I went, oh God. Thank you for the work of your spirit in my life, but I need to pray for these people. We need to pray for them. Pastor Enoch and Winnie Lim, Pacific Grace, Pacific Grace uh, MB Church in Burnaby. In fact, why don't we pray right now for them? Father, I pray for Winnie who lost her father, her sister-in-law, her nine-year-old nephew, and I especially pray for the ministry and the comfort of the Holy Spirit over Winnie's brother, who also lost his father, but lost his wife and his son. Oh God, have mercy on them. Restore them, strengthen them. Establish them by the work of your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is where the work of the Holy Spirit becomes tangible, real in our lives. I don't know how this guy's going to get through life in the next while, aside from the Holy Spirit and his family and the church, right? It's, uh, but that's the way God intends things, right? Is for us to come alongside each other in the power of the Holy Spirit, just as the Spirit comes alongside us. And so when life is hard for you, please share that with others. Like, allow them to come alongside you. That's what we're intended to do. It's the, that's the role of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit in the, in the life of the believer, the Christian. Another role is uh, as a counselor. I could go counselor and teacher. I'm just going to skip over. But if you read John 14 through 16, 
This talks about many roles of the Holy Spirit. One is of comfort and peace. One is of him being our counselor, our teacher. Another one is conviction. There's a passage that talks really quick about uh, comfort, conviction, and what what I call convincing (laughs) truth. The Holy Spirit has come to convict of of sin when there's something wrong in our lives, but also to convince us that of, of Christ's righteousness and how much we need him because there's a judgment coming. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. I do want to camp a little bit on another role in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with God on communication with God. Prayer. Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Lim family right now are groaning. They're groaning. Too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows What is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And later, in Romans 8, a few verses later, Paul said, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So the Holy Spirit within us, when we groan and don't even know what to ask for, he's interceding. Jesus, who is now at the right hand of the Father, takes those groans and and brings them to the Father and intercedes on our behalf. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity at work in our lives? That is awesome. It is a winning combination. (laughs) But he speaks through Scripture. 1 Peter 1, no prophecy of Scripture comes uh, from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit all scripture is breathed out Second Timothy by God and profitable for teaching reproof breathed out gives life correction training and righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work so do we study the scriptures merely as oh, interesting texts or hear them as God's very word that holds out Christ and draws us to want to meet him and know him? The spirit breathed out these words, not that we might merely alter our behavior, not that we might merely know about Christ, but as John Calvin wrote, that we might have a sincere affection for him. That we might cordially embrace him. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. The motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? He asked. Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Yes, for it is Christ the word of who is the word of God without him we would be blinder than moles never dreaming of how fatherly God is but the spirit breathed scriptures proclaim him as the radiance of his father the only one who can share with us the true life giving the true life of knowing loving and being loved by the father that's Charles Spurgeon man so Christianity is not primarily about a lifestyle change it's about knowing God and enjoying him for what he created us for and saved us for. And 
the final work of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in relation to God is the work of sanctification in our lives. That through our knowing Christ, we are transformed and we live differently. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul wrote of how Moses faced Sean after being with the Lord. He was with the Lord. He came down from the mountain and then he said, For we all with unveiled face holding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want to jump to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter said, who is an apostle of Christ, he wrote to those who were elect exiles in the dispersion of in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the knowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. See, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives helps us to in, in sanctification, which means that we become more holy as he is holy, set apart for his work, walking in purity. That also gives us grace and peace. When we're on the right track with God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it makes a difference in our lives and to those around us. Romans 8, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. It changes the way we live. R.A. Torrey said this. Love this quote. These old preachers were awesome. How often some young man has had his hand on the door of some place of sin that he's about to enter, and the thought has come to him. If I should enter there, my mother might hear of it, and it would nearly kill her. And he has turned his back on that door and gone away to live a pure life, that he might not grieve his mother. But there is one who is holier than any mother, one who is more sensitive against sin than the purest woman who ever walked this earth and who loves us even as no mother ever loved. This one dwells in our hearts if we really are Christians, and he sees every act we do by day or under cover of the night. He hears every word we utter in public or in private. He sees every thought we entertain. He beholds every fancy and imagination that is permitted even a momentary lodging in our mind. And if there is any unholy, impure, selfish, mean, petty, unkind, harsh, unjust, or even, or any evil act or word or thought or fancy, he is grieved by it. Wow. And so Paul tells us in Galatians to walk by the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And it goes on to name those. And he said, if we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. I better move on really quick. Boy, what time is it? I'm just getting all wound up here. Let's talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us in fellowship with one another real quick, and then we'll end, okay? Promise. Unity. Jesus' first prayer for his disciples, John 17, that they may all be one, just as you are, Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, and that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, Holy Spirit, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. And so, 
it was really appropriate for Jesus to pray this as our, as our high priest because it's a priestly prayer that comes from Psalm 133 where it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It's like oil being poured down over, you know, over uh, the head, running down the beard and onto Aaron's beard, the priest running down into the collar of his robes. And so the oil symbolizes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was poured out on Jesus at his baptism, right? It runs down Jesus onto his body, which is us. This oil, the Holy Spirit, brings unity to the body of Jesus, the church. And Paul appeals to us in Ephesians 4 to maintain the unity, to work hard to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And he says there is... You know, one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all, one baptism, one, one, like the whole trinity is there, Ephesians 4, and work hard to maintain the unity. That's how it affects us, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It affects our unity. And if there's a message that needs to be preached to the church in, in relation to what's going on out there in culture that we're part of 24-7, it is unity. Unity in the spirit. We have to work hard at that. Keep our eyes focused on Christ. The second thing the Spirit came to do is give us power. Power to be his witnesses. It's the first thing Jesus, the last thing Jesus said when he took off, when he went back to heaven to the right hand of the Father. He took off literally, gone. Um, He said, I'll give you power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then later on, power for living to face persecution to all kinds of things in our lives. Prophecy, we speak to one another the words of God. It's not what we say, but what God says. That's what prophecy is. And prophecy, as it comes from Scripture and the Holy Spirit through the Scripture and maybe other things that the Spirit speaks to us directly, must always point and affirm what Jesus said, which always points to the Father. Always. Another thing is gifts. Holy Spirit has given gifts to the church so that we might serve. Oh my goodness, this is a series in itself, and there's a lot of them. This is why I say the gift of tongues, which is one gift of the Holy Spirit that I very much believe in, is, uh, <clears throat> is like a dinghy in an ocean because the Holy Spirit is so vast, so vast. So whether you've been given a gift of administration or apostleship, setting direction, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, or wisdom, use it. Get involved in ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. Use it for his glory and the good of other people that people would come to know Jesus. It's what our mission is all about. And finally... The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is evidenced in our life by his fruit. You've sat long enough. Would you stand with me? Cody, come on up and join me. Here's, um, let's go to the last slide. Okay, Galatians 5. Stand up. I want to teach you some actions. If you've been around me for a long time, some of you have done this before. Many of you have not. And it starts with but. And we've been sitting on our butt for a long time, okay? So, and our hands are now down by our butt. So you go, but, lift them up. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to start picking fruit, is single, single sentence, or sing, uh, sorry, syllable, single syllable, love, joy, peace. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. 
patience, kindness, goodness, two syllables, okay? But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, three syllables, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One more time. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We need this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit. And I just had to end on a positive note there, a high note. We're all raring to go. Cody's ready to lead us in worship. And we need you, Lord. We need to embrace, not be afraid of your spirit. It's vital to our Christian life. Help us to live in your love and demonstrate this fruit of the Spirit in our lives today and this week. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.